The following audio is from the King's Chapel in Clifton, Virginia. For more information about our church or to listen to more sermons from this series, you can visit us online at thekingschapel.org. Good morning, church. Don't look at this for a little while. We'll get to that in just a moment. Uh, last week, I had the opportunity to, well, actually before that, the opportunity to go on a, a trip, a, a vacation with my family and um, got back last Saturday and it was an outstanding trip. We got to relax, we got to rest, have a good time in relationship. But on Saturday morning of last week, it all came to an end. And, and if you've been on a family vacation, you know what that feels like when it all comes to an end. You wake up early, you, you pack everything and that takes way too long. You pack up the kids, you pack up all the luggage in the car, and then you get on the road for eight plus hours of pain on 95 North on a Saturday afternoon. And, and so we arrive home and just as the day is ending, the sun is actually beginning to set when we actually get in our doors. We unload everything, feed the kids, get them to bed. And then my wife and I, we sink into our couch at about 9 p.m. surrounded by stuff. And I have four ridiculous words come to my mind, and you may know what they are. I need a vacation, right? It's absurd, I know, but how many of you can identify with that feeling? You've been there before? Yeah, um, are you tired? Are you tired? Are you worn out? I don't mean are you tired this morning, but I wonder how many of you here today have just been tired for a long time. Worn out, beat down, drained. We're going to test this. I, I, want to, I want you to humor me, if you will, for, for just a moment. Would you all stand? Would you stand, please? And we're going to play a, a little game called Sit Down If. And I'm going to say some statements, and if they're true of you, you're going to sit down. So, you think you can follow that? It's pretty simple. Sit down if. Sit down if your cell phone is rarely off for extended periods. <laughs> oh, don't you get quiet on me. <laughs> Sit down if, wow, that was everyone. Wow, okay, that's not good. Stand back up, stand back up, stand back up, come on. <laughs> Sit down if you did not use all of your vacation time last year. Okay. Sit down if you commute for over an hour on work days. Sit down if you feel like you could just use a little more sleep. Good for you, good for you. Sit down if you don't consistently take a 24-hour period to simply rest once a week. Sit down if you don't want to stay standing the rest of the service. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor Milton. I could have gotten all of you uh, uh, pretty easily. Sit down if you're worn out. Sit down if you're stressed out. Sit down if you're just tired, just trying to make it. Sit down if you're overcommitted. Sit down if you're overburdened. Sit down if you're just too busy. Because this is the life we live, right? If you're not worn out, stressed out, overcommitted, busy in Northern Virginia, you might just be lazy, right? Wrong. Wrong. God, God has something way better for us than this crazy go, go, go lifestyle that so many of us are living. And God has actually given us a prescription, a way of living life, a rhythm for life that, that demands from us that we work hard. We work hard and we rest consistently. He has an answer for this overcommitment, this busyness, this craziness that we're living if we would apply it. 
Over the last two, maybe two and a half years, I know some of you have gotten really worn out. And you look at your life and you feel like, why am I tired all the time? And I would say, especially for leaders uh, of organizations or, or businesses or whatever you are, if you had responsibility for something over the last couple of years, when things got really crazy and, and really hard, you're not just tired. You're depleted. You're, you're running on empty. Maybe not, maybe you're, you're filling back up at this point, but for many of you, you don't just need a day off. You don't just need a vacation. You don't just need a nap, although all of those things are helpful. What you really need underneath all of that is true, consistent rest. Rest. Now, are you wondering, Mark, is this just a way for you to get your Father's Day nap? <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, no, it's actually, it's much more than that. Today is a big day here at TKC. Today is, is a day where it's the first weekend of summer break for, for many of our public schoolers. It's uh, the beginning of VBS week, so there's this frenzy of excitement. It's the Juneteenth holiday where we, we can remember, both lament our history of enslavement as a nation and also celebrate the fact that when Christ makes a difference in people's hearts, it leads to chains being broken. It leads to freedom. It leads to freedom in nations and it leads to freedom in the human heart. And, and it's also Father's Day, this chance to reflect on our fathers and to honor God and honor them for the fathers that we've had. And even for those of us who haven't had good earthly fathers, well, we can be grateful for the spiritual fathers we've had. We can be grateful that if we're believers in Jesus Christ, that he has adopted us into his family and we have the perfect father. But there's a lot going on this Sunday. There's a lot going on this weekend, yet in all the frenzy and activity of this week, this morning's message is going to be extremely important for your life, extremely important for your health, for your family, if you're married, for your spouse, and for your children, and it is simply this. God has made us for a consistent rhythm of work and rest, work and rest. Some of you are way too good at either one of those things, right? So turn with me to Mark chapter 2 and Mark chapter 3. And you're, you may be wondering, didn't we go over this passage already? Yes, we did. Pastor Brian preached through it just recently, but we're going to, to look at it now with a different lens and a different point of emphasis. And so as we retrace a bit of the ground that Brian covered, recall with me that Jesus Christ has begun his ministry. He's been ministering in his home region of Galilee. He's been going from town to town and place to place, healing the sick, casting out demons, preaching with authority, and, and spending time with sinners and tax collectors, people like Levi. And so as his ministry has grown, as his popularity has in increased, as the interest in him has increased, so also has the tension between Jesus and these religious legalists called scribes and Pharisees. We'll talk about legalism in just a moment. But this, there's this enmity between Jesus and this group of people that see themselves as the good people, the righteous people, the better than others people. For the Pharisees, acceptance for God was based on living up to God's holy standard in his word and actually beyond that, taking the law of God and adding rules and regulations to it so that they could stay on that straight and narrow path to follow God's word. And, and, and so Jesus, on the other hand, is concerned about different things, actually. He's not so concerned about this tedious rule-keeping following things that are added onto scripture. He's actually drawing near to people who are a mess, People like Levi, the tax collector. People who are on the outside. He has compassion towards them and he is drawn towards them away from these religious crowds. And everything that Jesus does as he pursues these kinds of people, it, it ruffles the feathers of the religious elites. He eats and drinks with sinners and tax collectors. His disciples don't fast like the disciples of, of John the Baptist or the Pharisees who fast twice a week, which might explain why they're always irritated. And this week, 
the battle that they have is over the observance of the Sabbath. And so we'll see how Jesus treats the Sabbath and how it contrasts with the scribes and the Pharisees. Here in Mark chapter 2 and 3, I want you to see as Mark describes this, this scenario, three things. One, the basis for the Sabbath. We'll look at some other passages to establish that. Then we'll see the burden of legalism, number two. And thirdly, the blessing of godly rest should we choose to receive it. Number one, the basis for the Sabbath. Genesis 2.2 says this, And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. So far in Genesis, God has made three things holy. He's, he's, he's or excuse me, blessed three things. He's blessed the, the animal creation. He's blessed humanity. And then the third thing he blesses is just a day, a day. That should stand out to us. As God rested from his completed work, did he need to rest? Was God tired? No. No, but what God does is he establishes an ordinance, a rhythm in creation itself of work and rest. Work and rest for our benefit and our blessing. God rested. Sometimes you, you hear people say that, that this isn't something that we really need to consider all that strongly because wasn't it just part of, of the Jewish tradition? Wasn't it just part of their history? No, where does this take place? Where does God model this for us? In creation itself, before even the establishment of Israel. Here he gives us a picture of how he's intended life to live. Then in Exodus, God prescribes that his people continually and perpetually set aside this day for rest and worship. Exodus 28, 20, verse 8 says this, remember the Sabbath day. Later on it says, observe the Sabbath day. Remember and observe to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. Getting the picture, this is good for everybody. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is the, the fourth commandment of the Ten Commandments. God has given us a, a spiritual discipline within the Ten Commandments, and this is a positive command. It's not a don't do this, don't do that. It's, it's do this for your good for your benefit and your blessing. And so for the Jewish people, what they would do is they would celebrate this day on, on Saturday, the way their calendar would work. It would be Friday evening at sundown until Saturday evening at sundown is when they would celebrate the Sabbath. For Christians, very early on in the church's history, we started observing the Lord's Day on Sunday to remember the resurrection, to kind of distinguish the church from some of the traditions that it had come out of, but it was the first day of the week, this Sunday celebration. Saturday for the Jewish people, Sunday for the Christians, both days for Americans. Am I right? <laughs> yeah. But not really. Not really. Not the way we spend those days, right? Right? So, so the Sabbath is this gift to be enjoyed. Uh, the word Sabbath actually has this double connotation. The word actually means rest. So when you saw the sermon title and it said Sabbath rest, it's redundant. But actually, it, it also has this connotation of delight. So Shabbat, Sabbath, is it's rest and delight. It's rest and it's worship. And it, it's so good. It's a good gift of God for us to take a 24-hour period once every week to simply rest, to be with friends and family and, and community and relationship, to worship and to pursue the presence of the Lord. When I say pursue the presence, he's, he's always with us. But put ourselves in a place to recognize his presence, to learn from him, to draw near to him. A full 24-hour period for rest, relationship, 
to be with God. That sounds pretty good, right? I mean, what's the drawback of that other than that Chick-fil-A's not open? Like, it's, it's good. What could be burdensome about that? And the gift that God has given us is clear should we seek to actually open it. And when we don't rest, it's to our detriment. And, and so the command is clear. The principle is clear. And so the question is, how does this look practically? How are we to go about that? And there are various, various answers to that question. And, and so I want to just look at how some people would, would respond to that question of how should we live this out? How should we have this rhythm of work and rest uh, that we see in Scripture? And there's kind of three ways that we can look at this. The first is legalism. Legalism. And what legalism is, and forgive my handwriting, Legalism, over here, is faith in my works. And so what the legalist does is the legalist establishes rules and regulations for themselves that if they live up to this, they can somehow curry favor with God. He'll be proud of them. He'll be pleased with them. And so they add to the word of God and they live beyond what he's required and even ignore some of his more prominent commands to love others on these, these kinds of days so that they can just do the right thing. And, and there's some good in this. There's some, there, there's some health in this in the sense of wanting to honor God. But what this becomes really is honoring ourselves, honoring our own approach to how to live life rather than honoring God's. The legalist will ask this question. And, and if you have this tendency in your heart, you might be asking me these kinds of questions after the service. It's, Mark, what are the rules? Just tell me the rules and, and I'll follow them. Just tell me the rules. So we have legalism over here, and, and we'll see Jesus come face to face with a bunch of, of legalists in this passage. On the other end of the continuum, and, and if you know anything about my whiteboarding, I only know how to draw one thing, and it's this line. So uh, license on the other end of the spectrum. License. And what license is all about is because I'm saved by grace, because God has poured out grace upon me, I can do whatever I want. I, I can ignore all these things in Scripture because... I can do it my own way. License is all about faith without works. There's no response to the gospel in license. It's like that, that license to do whatever you want. Faith without works, if you're filling in the blanks. And, and that's no good either. What this causes us to do is to drift toward laziness in terms of this, this rhythm of rest. Laziness or workaholism, where it's never enough where we keep after it day after day, and both things fall short of God's best for us. So what are we left with? We're left with what, what James describes as the law of liberty. Liberty. Liberty not from something, before something. It's this, it's this response to God where we see the grace that he's poured out on us, and it causes us to not want to live the same way anymore. Not to, to beat ourselves up like the legalist, not to, to try to always be perfect so that we can earn God's favor, but to realize the grace that he's poured out on us, to realize the favor that we've received from him and to live in response to that, to live differently. And so what characterizes liberty, it's grace through faith unto good works. And what characterizes liberty is love, love for God, love for others. And it's a love that will cause us to set aside our own priorities, our own desires in order to pursue God's best for us. And in this passage, in Mark chapter 2 and chapter 3, what we'll see is people on this end of this continuum, some legalists, come face to face with Jesus. Look at Mark chapter 2 where we see the burden of legalism starting in verse 23. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. 
okay? And they pluck them, and they're chewing on these heads of grain. This seems harmless enough. This is a happy, carefree scene. Maybe they're whistling, or they're singing songs like hobbits walking through the field. I don't know, but it's around lunchtime, and they're snacking on the scenery as they go, and this activity alone is enough to upset the Pharisees. Now, I don't know. What are the Pharisees doing in that field? You ever thought about that? Is it like a haunted corn maze where there's Pharisees around every turn? Uh, For some reason, they're there, and they've been constantly following Jesus around. And and one of the disciples is apparently a loud eater, probably Judas, and and he's crunching too loud. And the Pharisees are there to catch them in the act. And the Pharisees are there to confront them. And, And because they hate the ministry of Jesus, and they are constantly looking for ways to accuse him. And the Pharisees were saying to him, verse 24, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? They're tattletales, they're finger pointers. And it's important to note, however, that what the disciples were doing was actually perfectly legal. Deuteronomy 23, 25 says this, If you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. In other words, you can have a little bit as you're walking through your neighbor's field. You just can't harvest the whole field, which makes sense. They're allowed to pluck the grain. At lunch today with your father, you're allowed to take some of the french fries, but you can't harvest his cheeseburger. And and so it's legitimate scripturally to do what they're doing. So, So what is the problem with these Pharisees? The problem is this. Legalists turn blessings, things that are good, gifts from God, into burdens. Legalists turn blessings into burdens. They have this guilt complex that they always carry with them where they're always falling short and they're constantly trying to make themselves good enough for God. They don't understand the heart of God. And they turn these good gifts into burdens. How does Jesus respond? He doesn't ridicule them. He doesn't make fun of them. He he actually doesn't even argue with them. He does something that we should learn. He points them to God's word. He points them to scripture. More and more, the, the way you're going to be able to lovingly combat people who come against you is to know your word, to know the Bible, and to be able to respond with the truth of Scripture. He tells them the story from 1 Samuel chapter 21 about David. And he said to them, verse 25, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. So to summarize this, Jesus is telling the story about David, who, who under the reign of King Saul, David was this, this loved servant of Saul, and, and yet Saul has lost his mind and has begun insanely pursuing David and his band of brothers to, to kill them. And so David's on the run, and he and his men are on the run, and they're essentially starving as they're running for their lives from this crazed king. And so they go to the tabernacle, and there in the tabernacle, they ask the priest for food. And there's no food. There's not like extra stuff. There's not donuts and coffee and all those kinds of things. What there is in the tabernacle are five loaves that are set out ceremonially called the bread of the presence. It's there as a picture of God's provision and then it's given to the priests to eat. And there they come and there's no food, but they ask the the priest for food. And he asks them a few questions. He basically asks them if they've been serving the Lord, if they've been keeping themselves pure in their relationships. And David says, yes, we honor God. We honor our women. He, he gives them this, this, his credentials. And then the priest gives them the ceremonial bread so that they don't starve. And they are not condemned for it. They're not condemned for this action. The, the implication being this, that the necessary supersedes the ceremony. 
when it comes to our Sabbath rest, the necessary, the, these acts of mercy, these acts of piety, these acts of love from Abiathar supersedes what the rules would have been to most people. The necessary supersedes the ceremony. And what Jesus is saying is that the Sabbath was given for man's benefit and blessing, not given to reduce man to some rule-keeping robot. And at times, serving the hungry is a perfectly acceptable thing to do. Acts of mercy, like this priest offering bread, not only acceptable, but obligatory. This is the right thing to do here on the Sabbath. And he said to them, verse 27, the Sabbath was made for man. You hear that? It's a gift not man for the Sabbath. We are not to be slaves to a day. It is, it is a gift to man. So the son of man, that's him, Jesus, is Lord even of the Sabbath. So he's saying, I'm all about this. I'm all about it. It's mine. I created this for you. And so to understand what Jesus is saying is we need to understand what he's not saying. He's not saying that this is a, a day for you, a, a rhythm for you to just prop up your own self-indulgence, to ignore the rest that you so desperately need. He's not giving permission in this response to the Pharisees for you to just throw it all out. He's giving you permission to consider his actual intention for this rhythm of life. And he said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. It's his idea. It's his invention. He's all about it. But the other thing we see from legalists is that legalists value their own laws over love for others. They value their own laws over love for others. Turning to chapter 3, again, he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand. Luke's gospel in, in chapter 6 in a parallel passage says it was his right hand that was withered. And we don't know how he got this way. We don't know what, what happened to him. But if his right hand is withered, most people are right-handed. How many of you are right-handed? Most of you are right-handed. You kind of need that hand. It's very important. And, and most people, because they're right-handed, this, this is likely the hand this guy really needs. But the Pharisees, in their infinite wisdom, had decided that the only kind of medical care that was allowed or appropriate on the Sabbath was emergency care, like taking care of someone who might be dying or delivering a child because you don't really have control over the timing of that, do you? But this was no emergency. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. They know Jesus can heal him. They're here with Jesus, and they know he can heal him. But what are they looking for? Are they, are they looking for a miracle? Are they looking for the mercy of God to be poured out on this man? No. They're looking to catch him. So that they might accuse him. So they see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? That's an easy question. But they were silent. Silent. No answer. They had put their own laws, their own rules, their additions to God's word over a clear command to love thy neighbor. Verse 5. And he looked around at them with anger. This is not your, your soft, cuddly Jesus. Jesus is angry at them because of their contempt towards the suffering man, because of, of their misapplication of his word, because of their lack of love and sympathy and, and their hardness of heart. It says, greed at their hardness of heart. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. Jesus looks at this crippled man, this man who, the one thing he's unable to do, and he commands him to do that, to stretch out his hand. And he was able 
by the power of Jesus with a word. Isn't that just like what it was when you came to Christ? Something you were completely unable to do. And yet it's exactly, when he calls you, it's exactly what he calls you to do, to place your faith and trust in him. You're not able, and yet he makes a way. And with a word, Jesus brings healing to this man. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. They held their rules so highly that they actually wanted to kill Jesus in response to what he had just done. That is unbelievable. And legalism is crazy like that. But here's the thing. It's so easy to pick on legalists. So easy to pick on Pharisees and to think, I would never do that. I am not like that at all. We can see clearly they've lost sight of the whole point of the Sabbath. And yet, I wonder what we do. What do we do? If you were to place yourself on this continuum, where where do you land? Are you more likely to be like one of the legalists? I would say probably not. Knowing this area, knowing the way evangelical Christianity is in general, I would, I would guess that almost all of us drift really far this way. The point is not to be in the middle. The point is to honor God and to love others. And I wonder how many of us constantly drift toward either laziness or, more likely, overwork, overbusiness, a disregard for God's design for our lives. I'm not, I'm not telling you to, to legalistically keep rules. No, I'm asking you to consider, does God know better than we do, how we ought to live, and will we submit to that in response to the good gift that he has given us? Sabbath rest is not something that we tend to take serious, seriously. And as a result, I think we're missing out on the best that God has for us. I want you to picture a kid on Christmas morning, and, and you have a gift to give your child. And it's a really good gift. It's a gift that they are going to get to enjoy, not just for a day, but for the rest of their lives. And you hand it to them, and you say, open this gift. You're going to love it. And their response is, no, you know, the New Testament no longer requires me to open that gift. I don't want it. That's absurd, right? It doesn't make any any sense. And yet I wonder how often we do that with with some of the, the good gifts that God has given us. God knows what he's doing. He knows what is best for us. Here's some fun facts for you to to chew on, and we'll we'll get to a conclusion pretty soon. When it comes to work and rest. Nearly half of the American workforce claims to work over 50 hours a week. Yet Stanford researchers have shown that that worker productivity falls sharply after 50 hours and actually goes off a cliff if you work more than 55 hours. What that means is, is if you keep working and you're very proud of the fact that you work 60, 70 hours a week, you're actually becoming counterproductive at some point. 50 hours a week is peak performance, and that sounds interestingly like six days of work, doesn't it? Does God know what he's doing? Six days, no more. I'm not saying six days at your office, but six days of hard labor on whatever it is you have to do. Six days and no more. Additionally, research has shown that the ideal vacation satisfaction peaks at about three weeks of vacation rest annually, and that the ideal vacation is eight days long, at which satisfaction plateaus. Okay, it's, it's eight days, and then after that, it's really not getting any better. Why is that significant? Why am I saying that? Who cares? Well, actually, the book of Leviticus commands the Israelites to take three weeks for feasting every year. Three weeks with a Sabbath on either end, which equals eight days of putting aside work. It, it, does God know what he's doing? 
in Leviticus, we can see that, that God describes what, what researchers are now figuring out is, is exactly the right formula for rest. A last fun fact, American Seventh-day Adventists, a group that strongly emphasizes Sabbath rest and uh, their theologies off in some other areas potentially, but they have an average life expectancy 10 years longer than the average American. 10 years longer. And they religiously take one day in seven to rest. Do you know that if you live for 70 years and you take one day off a week, what that equals? 10 years of Sabbath rests. And it's as if God takes this gift that they're giving to him and honoring him with his day and he adds it to the end of their lives. That's astounding. Why do we ignore this? Why do we ignore God's designed rhythm for work and for rest? I, I don't say this as a condemnation, but as a reminder, God has given you a good gift. God has given you a, a way of living and he knows you better than he knows yourselves. And he would say to you, my children, for your good, you need to rest. Our souls long for this. We long for a break from the constant pressure. And this is exactly an ordinance and creation that God has given us, a prescription for this. So we'll close with the blessing of godly rest. How do we experience this? How do we unwrap this gift as Christians, living in our liberty that we have, but also enjoying the best of what God has to offer? And how do we understand this in practical terms without becoming legalists ourselves? How do we Sabbath as Jesus, one of the, like Jesus? One of the best ways to do this is to consider the Sabbath as a gift. Understand that, that God has designed us to enjoy this gift. And if we can understand that it's a gift and not a burden, we are on track to understanding and applying it well. For my family, what we do is, I don't know if you know this, but I actually work on Sundays. So, so, so for my family, what we do, and this is, not a, a, this is not for you to do exactly the same way, but when we're doing this right, for us, what we do is we work really hard in my Sunday to Thursday work week, and then Friday is a day in which we work on everything else. So if it's taxes or, or fixing the fence or mowing the lawn or, or whatever it is or, or finishing a sermon, it takes place on Friday. And then when we gather around the dinner table on Friday, it's done until the next evening. And so we have our pizza and we spend time together. And over that Saturday, Friday evening into Saturday evening, we rest and we remember and we, we give ourselves permission to take a guilt-free nap, to, to not turn on the computer at our best, to set our cell phones in a drawer and ignore them and to remember the goodness of God in our lives. I, I will admit, we don't do this well at, all the time, but when we do, it is such a blessing. It's so refreshing, and we look forward to it, and we work hard leading up to it. There's three elements of this blessing. Number one, remembrance. Purposeful remembering. On this day, we, we remember the creation account that God rested, and we enjoy that. We, we remember in Exodus that God has brought us into redemption we celebrate that. And we remember the resurrection, that we've been given new life, eternal life in Christ. Secondly, relationship, remembrance, relationship. The goal of the Lord's day is God. The goal is God. It's not about church attendance. It's about drawing near to God, knowing God, and loving God more so that that love can pour out into others. It's about loving God and loving others. Thirdly, rest. Rest. Rest is a gift, it's a privilege. This is not simple idleness, this is not self-indulgence, but it is perfectly acceptable to take that sanctified Sunday nap. Not only is it acceptable, it's good. Not something to feel guilty about. 
Now, can everyone take Sunday off? No, we know, know that some people can't. Our, our first responders, our nurses, we know there are inevitable acts of mercy, piety, all these things. And, and we honor you for, for laying down your lives on these days when so many other people are just relaxing. And I would just say that I hope that you are able to honor God and build a rhythm into your life as well. As the band comes up, let me close with this verse. Jesus says this, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The point here is not to become uh, uh, someone who white knuckles their way to rest. That doesn't make any sense. Or to just ignore God's principles and creation. But rather, it's just a call to stop trying to impress God and enjoy what he's given you. Enjoy the gift. And on this Sabbath day, to stop trying to be more righteous and simply receive the righteousness of Jesus and rest in his finished work for you. It is finished. I think that as we do this as a community, as a church, we're going to stand out. We're going to be different. We're not going to live with the same priorities, the same goals as everyone else around us. And if we do this, we will stand out. We will be like a sweet aroma to to a culture that all around us is desperate, desperate for for life, for love. And, and, And this life and love will flow out of us honoring God and doing things his way, living in the abundance of his grace toward us and enjoying his goodness every day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have designed life with order and goodness for our good, for our benefit and blessing. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't, we wouldn't take this as a call to feel guilty or, or to do things out of some kind of obligation, but rather we would just enjoy the goodness that you've given us. Lord, I pray for those that are tired and worn out that you would give us rest, that we would take your yoke. Lord, we submit our lives to you. We love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.